Hello and welcome to Connectivity 232. I'm your host, Nicholas Bray, and today I'm joined by Kelton Rice. Hello, everyone. Hey, Kelton, how's it going? Doing good, Nick. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, yeah, we're actually recording an episode, so yay. <laughs> yeah, it's been forever, hasn't it? <laughs> we have had some struggles uh, in the last few weeks, which is why this episode's a tad late, but uh, here we are. And um, today we're probably going to be talking mostly about Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh, seeing as though Kel- Kelton has uh, just finished the game like a couple of days ago. Yes. Um, but first, we'll maybe have a quick brief chat about what else we've been up to. Um, so Kelton, what else have you been doing besides from playing Zelda? Yikes. My goodness. So I have been playing my Switch religiously for, I would say, almost this entire year, um, but especially within the last month or so. Um, between ARMS and Splatoon. Um, I never actually got a chance to play the first Splatoon, um, so I've actually been diving in really deep with uh, Splatoon 2. Um, so mm-hmm. before I f- went back to finish Zelda, um, that was definitely eating up a lot of my time. I really, really uh, enjoy Splatoon quite a bit. Um, I've also been going back and playing just a few of the Switch games that I didn't get a chance to pick up um, that came out a little bit earlier um, in the year. Um, I recently just picked up Cave Story, um, and I've been plowing through that, and that is phenomenal. Um, absolutely love that. And uh, also, too, my Switch has actually kind of become one of the only consoles I actually own again. So I've got uh-huh. my 3DS, obviously, but the Switch uh, has kind of overtaken my PlayStation. Um, I hardly touched my PlayStation this year, so I am now just all Nintendo. So <laughs> kind of a nice little move of dedication uh, to the company, because I just I that's all I want to play at the moment. So, yeah. It's been plowing through a ton of stuff. Yeah, sounds sounds pretty good. I, on the other hand, haven't actually been playing much of anything lately. Actually, I I was going to pick up Arms and then I didn't. And then I was like, oh yes, yeah, Splatoon two comes out, and then I still haven't picked that up. So I've been a bit slack uh, just in terms of time and um, money, I guess, to buy the new games. But um, at this point, I'm probably looking towards Odyssey, maybe, as my next Switch game, um, <laughs> aside from some download stuff, which uh, I'll probably download Sonic Mania in a couple of days. Yeah, that's um, right. That comes that out comes next out. week. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm super excited about that one, too. I've kind of gotten this philosophy um, with the Switch since it's been out, that if there is a game that I have even a passing interest in playing, if it's coming to the Switch, I will more than likely attempt to play it, Um, whereas with any other system, I wouldn't typically try. But because of just the versatility of the system, like I consistently find myself wanting to just always play uh, the Switch, no matter what. So, um, going back to Splatoon 2 for a sec, like, so... Yeah, you didn't play the first one. I've played the first one. I've played it a fair bit, like, sort of trailed off after a while, but I probably will end up getting the second one at some point. But, um, so what do you like about Splatoon? Like, what's the, like, thing you, you like about it so much, so far? Okay, cool. As far as Splatoon 2 goes, um, I've really been enjoying it. Um, it's a lot different than um, other third-person um, shooters that I'm used to playing. Um, so, as, as I said earlier, I'd never played the first one, so the whole Turf War concept is completely new to me. Um, but I found myself quickly getting really addicted to it. Um, just constantly the idea of covering um, the other team's uh, turf with your ink. Um, and just, like, it really takes the emphasis off uh, kills, which is something I really appreciate as somebody who's not always great in multiplayers. I've really, really been enjoying um, the unique style of the game, considering that, like, all other third-person shooters I've played are very, like, 
team deathmatch focused, and this one is just completely different, and I'm really, really loving it for that. Yeah, yeah, the the Turf Wars, um, I just like doing Turf War, because, yeah, you can sort of be okay at the game and still sort of, like, feel like you're playing sort of well. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, exactly. You don't have to really worry about killing people too as much, like, that, that's what was good about it. Yeah, no, I really, really love that aspect of the game. And another thing, too, that I really like about the Tier 4 matches themselves are that they only last about three minutes. Um, So a lot of the times, like, I can't rely on my internet, um, you know, barely enough to record a podcast as much as I can for a multiplayer (laughs) game. So the idea of, like, a match, like, hey, it's only going to be three minutes of time. It's a really concise, you know, shortcut amount of time. It's not going to take up too much um, to actually sit there and play it. And it's really, really nice. It works out really well for me. Right, cool, yeah, so, yeah, you've been, you've been playing playing it a lot then, or just sort of every now and then, like, have you been playing single player at all, or? Yeah, so, single player, I've probably put, I know I'm at least um, done with the second, um, second section of the single player, um, I've been enjoying it a lot, um, more than I actually expected I would, um, but right now, because the Turf War is still so new to me, and I'm still so hooked on it, that's kind of, like, the only, um, that seems to be taking all my attention, um, for the time being. I did, uh, get to level, um, what am I, I think I'm level 13 or 14, I, uh, and that was within a matter of a couple weeks, um, which is much faster leveling up than, uh, I'm used to for, um, you know, for other multiplayer games. I definitely got through much faster, but that's because, like, that's all, like, I spent all my time, um, just on Turf Wars alone, and I really, yeah, I really, really enjoy the game. Um, the one feature of it I haven't even, like, thought about touching is actually the voice chat of it. Um, the voice chat feature seems so confusing, um, and even as somebody who's, like, the techie of my house who should be able to figure out how to set it up, I just don't want to take the time to try to set it up, so I just, for the most part, I just kind of, uh, use the app um, just to kind of check my, uh, Splatoon stats more than anything. Yeah, yeah. And you can only chat with friends anyway, right? You, you I believe chat, so, chat yeah. with randoms. Yeah. Hmm. Which, yeah, I don't have a chance to play, um, Splatoon with too many friends, uh, seeing as most of the ones I have don't actually have a Switch yet. <laughs> so, it does, kind of leaves me out in the, du- the dirt a little bit, not being able to, uh, do any voice chatting, so, but to be honest, that's okay, because with it being a three-minute match anyway, I feel like Nintendo does a really good job of applying their, like, level design to the multiplayer, like, with, uh, showing the player what they're supposed to do, and getting things done, um, to the level design in the multiplayer, so, yeah, I haven't really found a need for the voice chat at all, to be honest. Alright, um... Well, yeah, I, like I said, I haven't really been playing any games too much. I did play some N64 with a friend uh, a few days ago. We basically just played some Mario Kart and Smash Brothers, but that nice. was fun. We played the Japanese version of uh, Mario Kart 64, where Ooh. the voices are a bit different. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember uh, reading yeah. about that. Isn't, um, whose is it that's, uh, isn't Luigi, is Luigi's lower or higher in the Japanese one? Uh, I, feel- I couldn't say. I think... <laughs> Yeah. Some of them sounded kind of close, but you could tell it was, like, a different person recording the the dialogue. Yeah. Um, Mario, I think, was exactly the same. So I think, yeah. yeah, I think they kept Mario the same. But, yeah, I remember um, hearing that a few of the other voices are uh, pretty drastically different. Um, I think Toad and, Toad and Wario were two of the standouts, from what I remember. Yeah. And they've also got, like, 
advertisements based on real companies and stuff like mobile and there was like oh, a really? cigarette company uh in there <laughs> so you know advertising cigarettes to little kids in japan yeah kind of unlike nintendo huh <laughs> <laughs> um okay well we shall move we shall move on to the chat about zelda we'll we're talking sort of not going to really be worrying about spoilers or anything so if you still haven't you know finished the game or you haven't really played it yet like you could just you know skip over this uh end of this show and uh hopefully we'll be back with another episode <laughs> in a couple of weeks but um anyway so kelton what's your final sort of general thoughts on finishing zelda and like what was your experience like so the one thing that was like really stood out to me as I finished um, Breath of the Wild was just how how much it still felt like a Zelda game when you beat it. Um, so the whole experience is completely different than other. Like it really bucks the trend, you know, as we all know of other Zelda games. But the thing I really appreciated about it was even though like the whole journey up to that point to getting to Ganon, like it was completely and individually mine which is something that no other Zelda game has really, like, done before. Um, being able to, like, do everything my own way and be able to, like, craft Link's story up to the point where he has to defeat Ganon was really, really cool. Um, and it added, like, a really nice emphasis um, by the time that you actually defeat Ganon. Like, you're like, all these things that I've done... Like, I think I beat it um, clocking in around 75 hours, um, and mm-hmm. that was only with, like, 70 shrines and, like, Definitely not even a hundred Korok seeds. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, there was so much um, still left for me to do. Um, but yeah, just beating it, I was really, really impressed with the boss fights and just everything about the game. I just was completely enthralled with. Did you go into the uh, the boss fight with like having beaten all the um, beasts, the divine beasts? Yeah, so I I had actually attempted um, running in Ganon's castle. I think. I want to say when I had gotten, when I beat, um, the, uh, Zora Divine Beast, I, this was like around probably the second or third week that it was out, I decided I would Mm -hmm. give it a shot, um, just to see if I could actually get into the castle, try to get my, you know, try to get my, uh, bearings, um, I explored actually, a lot of my exploration in Hyrule Castle was actually spent in, like, that time when I attempted it, and what I thought was cool was how, um, the like so the divine beast um spirits that that uh trap ganon's soul or whatever it is um inside of them you actually have to fight them in the main um hall like before you fight the other two versions of ganon at the end which i didn't realize that um if you beat the divine beasts they just go away and then you just go straight to the ganon fight like you would normally but you have like four other yeah. ganon fights if you don't beat the divine beasts which is really cool I, I I also went into the castle like early on, but I didn't try and go to like the Ganon fight really. I just sort of explored and tried to see what I could find in the castle. And I thought that was pretty fun because you're sort of really cautious, just sneaking around and not trying to get like laser beamed by the guardians and stuff. Oh my goodness! Yeah, um, there's some really good. Yeah, um, it was really cool. Cause yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I found the um yeah I found like the Hylian shield pretty early on so I was like oh wow that's that's cool I just found it found it by accident which is 
a surprise. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really cool. Um, I loved exploring uh, the uh, Hyrule Castle. The one thing, two of the things that really stood out to me when I was exploring the area was a how the music changed. Um, the music was incredible mm. during that whole sequence. Um, just the way that like it took the normal Zelda theme because like up until that point, I don't think they had really used the Zelda theme. Um, I might be mistaken on that, but I don't remember hearing it up until you get to Hyrule Castle. And once you're in there, like, it just completely, like, it grows in nature, and it sort of, as somebody who's into music, like, it just sort of crescendos, it just sort of builds this entire time that you're exploring. And so by the time that you finally hit Ganon, everything feels like a culminate, like, the music does a really good job of culminating all of your, like, experiences thus far, and then by the time you defeat Ganon, like, it just feels incredibly epic. Yeah. And then the other thing I too. The, um, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna. Okay, I was gonna say the other thing too that I really, really loved about the castle um, was actually um, I believe it was Zelda's uh, bedroom that you could like find where yeah. you would go in. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. Yeah, you would go in and you would read her diary, which I normally like text logs. I, I am of two minds of them. Some t- some games do them very well, in which in Breath of the Wild's case, I think it did it really well. Um, and some games can feel kind of lazy because it feels like they just kind of pepper them in just to add unnecessary lore, just to appease people who want a story like I do. But in here, it felt like it was actually pretty um, intricate and pretty like uh, like a sort of a fan servicey thing for anybody who enjoys um, heavy story elements from Zelda. So as somebody who really enjoys that, I really, really dug um, being able to just sit there and read her diaries, sit there and like really flush Link's character out and Zelda's perception of Link. That was something I was kind of surprised by. I didn't, I've never seen or played a Zelda game where she hate, like didn't really like him at first. And then like over this, you know, over the course of him being her protector, he like, grew to be this hero that we kind of know and so then this is sort of like a redemption arc for him which is really cool yeah 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 i also liked um the thing i liked about the castle was like how i think it's the first time that the castle feels like it's actually like a real castle with like the correct rooms and like it's not laid out like a dungeon it's more like a an actual castle in a way like yeah like yeah, you got her bedroom, you got like the kitchen, you got like the the grand hall and stuff like that. Uh, library, um, the dungeons. <laughs> it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, exploring the castle for this time was really cool. That was like because back in when I originally played Ocarina of Time, I was always like, oh, I wonder what like the rest of the rooms in the castle look like because you basically don't see any of the castle. It's like a couple of hallways and you're done. Um, in that game. So yeah, it was, it was cool to be able to explore the castle properly this time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, just the feeling of not only like the feeling like the, of isolation while you're there, but I really liked the feeling of this was like a lived in place before Calamity Ganon mm. hit. Like the whole idea yeah. that, yeah, there was like, this was a, the like center of Hyrule. Like this was the spot where everybody would meet. Um, and so it kind of made that post-apocalyptic feel of the game feel even more like credible saying like, Oh no, this is like, like this is where people would come and they would like, you know, it was just felt very lived in, which I could really appreciate. Um, which is, like, the game felt more populated than I actually expected it to feel, um, which I found I found to be a pro, because when I first was, like, going into it, I knew that it was supposed to be, like, 100 years after this big, um, you know, big fight with Ganon, but I didn't really know 
if they would pull, like, um, you know, really pull, like, be able to pull uh, people together and really be able to have sort of a cohesive world. But by the end of it, I definitely felt like it was a lot more fleshed out than I was expecting, which I really, really appreciated. Because it would have been so easy for them to say, oh, well, it's post-apocalyptic, and, you know, everybody, there's stragglers and survivors, but no, it really felt like there was still... Like, even though there was, like, a war that was going on, like, it, there were still people in pockets of civilization that were intact. And I really, really liked that. Yeah, there was, there was quite a few, like... Well, there's obviously quite a few towns, and there's a, the world's pretty populated still. Like, it's, you know... It, it's sort of almost carried on as is, almost, aside from, like, you know, the high round Hyrule Castle being all destroyed and stuff. Um... But at the same time, like, I liked having a lot of the different characters and, like, inhabitants of the world and stuff, but at the same time, I, I never really felt, like, much of a connection to a lot of the, like, lesser characters or whatever. I also, like, a lot of them sort of merge together, and I kind of forget individual... who individuals are sometimes, like, some of the... just the townsfolk. Um, yeah. Wandering around. Like, some of the more prominent ones, yeah, that's fine, but, like, I don't know, maybe it's just because there, there, is, so, there is so many that, you know, it doesn't really, they're just side-dressing in, in a way anyway, but... Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Um, I, there, the few, I really actually don't have almost any, um, complaints with this game. Um, mainly just because it was one of the only, um, games I've ever sat down to play where no matter, so I, I kind of have to be in the mood to play a game, um, for long periods of time. One good example is like whenever I sit down to play Skyrim yeah. or something like that, I can get invested into it, but sometimes I feel like I need at least like an hour to kind of catch me up on where I've been and what I was doing. Um, whereas this game, I can start up like at any moment and just feel like, oh, okay, yep, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly where I'm going. This is my goal. Um, this is what I was thinking about last time I was playing it. I'm going to go see um, if I can knock out one of these quests on my... Um, Log, and I think it really just like it shows how well Nintendo focuses on gameplay. Just the idea that like I I, I enjoy uh, controlling Link so much, almost the way like I enjoy controlling like Mario um, in like a Mario game. Like it just felt so good to control Link. I was like, all I want to do is just sit there and play this game for hours. Um, and it's one of the few Zelda games I feel like I could start up at any moment and just jump back into. Um, which is really, really cool, because I, I feel like I couldn't do that with almost any Zelda game, except for maybe, like, Link Between Worlds or Link to the Past. So, like, yeah, the just the general world and stuff as well, there was something that a lot of people had been sort of wanting for, for like, a long time, and, like, I wrote, like, back in 2011, some article about saying what I basically wanted from Zelda, and this is, you know, it's probably as close as I'm going to get to what that was it's pretty much exactly what i asked for but like even went beyond what i was imagining at that time because you know like when i was envisioning an open more open world zelda and like tackling things in any any order and stuff i always i guess assumed that they would stick keep the um like the various zelda items intact yeah in this game they went beyond that and just basically deleted all of them and gave you the tool set from the start um which is kind of interesting. Uh, did you like all that? Was that was the open world Zelda something you were wanting for a while, or were you sort of content with the way things were, like going like with Skyward Sword and stuff? So I would say that probably around the time Twilight Princess hit, I was sort of approaching that 
not Zelda fatigue, but the same layout fatigue. Um, and it wasn't really because I disliked the Zelda games. It was just because what I liked so much about Ocarina was it felt so special and so different. And so after, like, once you get to Twilight Princess, that sort of felt like a carbon copy um, to some extent. Obviously, it was much bigger, had much more to do in it, but it, it I felt like it kind of lost some of my attention just because it it lacked um, some of that original, like, oh, the, these big moments that you have in a Zelda game. And so what this one did is it kind of recaptured that feeling I had when I played Ocarina for the first time. Like, when I, yeah. when I would go out into Hyrule Field and I would say oh my gosh, look at this giant world, which, of course, at the time, Ocarina wasn't as big as I originally thought, but, like, Breath of the Wild's world is one of the biggest I've ever explored in a game, and I just am absolutely, like, in love with it. I just... All of the locations, and every time... um like, a shrine comes up. Like, this is the sort of game that, as a kid, I remember just being like, oh, man, Zelda's cool, like, when I would play Ocarina of Time, but I'm like, it would be so cool if they would just, you know, make it just a little bit bigger and then just add, like, a few more features to really make it something. And, like, this is basically everything I've ever wanted in a video game, um, which that's really hard to do. Like, I, I feel like a lot of the time, like, this sort of game structure is kind of what I want to see going forward applied to a lot of my favorite franchises. Um, and I don't really want them to make it like the formula for every game, like they did with Ocarina, but I do want to see a lot of the things in breath of the wild implemented into other, um, Nintendo franchises for sure. Yeah. I'd like to see what they do next with Zelda. Like keep a lot of the base elements of breath of the wild, maybe, but then, twist it in new ways and stuff I, I don't know if having like the way they set this game up with the shrines and like you you don't really need to do any of them you could like there's no real drive to like doing anything in the game it's just sort of what you feel like doing um which is i think some of the what some of the complaints are about the game like maybe like there's not enough complex dungeons or you know you don't really have to do anything in particular it's almost like open-ended but um yeah I, I don't know if they can pull off doing the exact same thing in in the, in the next game like setting it up with lots and lots of mini dungeons and shrines i think they're gonna have to i think this is a one and done sort of thing i don't know if they can pull off the exact same template again like they kind of did with ocarina of time for you know the last 20 years yeah um, they basically reused the 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 bones of that game and like mixed it up and stuff but what do you think about it like would you want the shrine concept to reappear or do you want something completely new so i liked the shrines um the yeah i, I don't get me wrong i liked like the shrines but yeah like, i don't know if setting up the next one would be the best that's the thing like the what what worked really well for them was because they were trying to reinvent the wheel to some extent with this game um it worked really well because they were able to within the confines of the story say okay so here's like the layout for the dungeons here's the layout for how you're going to level up here's the layout for everything and it works really well in this setting but i agree with you that like the template like if they try using it again it's going to be very difficult to try to just match that um, I do want to see a lot of elements stay the same, but the shrines, I feel like I could go either way. 
Um, I'm not actually one of the people who is, like, a huge dungeon defender. Like, as much as I do really love some of the dungeons and puzzles in older Zelda games, there's a few of them where I'm just, like... Mm. You know, like, th- like they're a little... Sometimes, it's a bit of a slug. Yeah, sometimes, like, I feel like in yeah. Majora's Mask especially, um, as much as I adore that game, um, there's a few of the dungeons where I feel like, okay, well, this has slowed my progress down significantly, and it's I, I still want to play this game, but it kind of turns you off a little bit. Whereas this game, like, I felt like a lot of it was just common sense puzzles, which as somebody who's more of, like, a left side brain thinker, I could really appreciate that, because I'm like, oh, okay, well, this would make sense for me. But also, what I appreciated was how there was multiple um, solutions to finish the dungeons, um, which really, yeah. that yeah. helped a lot, because I'm like, okay, well, if I get stuck, like, let me try a different way, and then normally, like, a different way would work. Um, and it really just, it was satis- it was really satisfying. Um, it just, in an age where, like, you know, you play a game, like, and I liked there to be somewhat of a point to it. Um, like, it just felt like a really good, like, mental uh, brain puzzle or brain teaser just to, like, beat one of the shrines and say, oh, yeah, I figured that out because... And then, you know, you ask somebody else, hey, what'd you do? And then somebody's like, oh, you know, I just decided to, you know, change it. I did it this way, and it's completely, two completely different ways, um, which I found fascinating. Yeah, I really liked how you could sort of just do, the, like work out different puzzles and stuff with the shrines and sort of even bypass whole sections if you're sort of in in like clever enough to think of something because like back before back when i was like yeah playing ocarina and like sort of learning what the zelda you know puzzle puzzle solving was i would try things that would like should work in real life and then like it didn't work in in the game but in this game that sort of thinking paid off a bit more like you could actually think outside the box a bit and yeah, just do stuff that would probably work in reality to a degree. Exactly. That's one of the things... Um, I used to do the same thing when I would play Ocarina. And it always kind of... It, it You know, you when you're playing video games, you already have like a sense of... Like a suspension of disbelief. But, you know, playing a game as smart as the Zelda series, it always kind of bugged me just a little bit that the obvious thing to do in real life isn't the obvious answer in the game, which kind of, like, it was good for the first, you know, like, however many years of them in the series, but once it got to, like, Twilight Princess, I think, was when I started thinking, okay, well, the more realistic, you know, these games are getting, the harder it is to suspend my disbelief of, oh, I couldn't, like, you know, like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm racking my brain to think of an example, but just some of the ways that you can Even use... Even just climbing over stuff. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, some some of the way the dungeon is set up in, in Zelda games, you could, like, if in real life, Link would just, like, climb up that wall and jump over that fence and it's done, and done you know, like... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Um, I Speaking of which, um, jumping and climbing, um, those are two of my favorite mechanics in the game, which sounds really weird for something that has been around for as long as, like, you know, the NES and earlier, but, like, jumping off of, like, a giant cliff and paragliding into, like, a giant, like, rock wall and then starting to climb up it is one of my favorite experiences. It's just a great loop where I got, I would get in the Mm -hmm. habit of it. Um, just being able to climb anything is a complete game changer for me. Um, because like, I never knew I wanted that in a game, but now that I've played it, I'm like, I absolutely adore this mechanic and I just want it to show up in more games. Um, cause it, it adds a lot to the experience and it sort towards of makes the yeah. end of my play th- towards the end of my playthrough. I was getting a little like, 
I wasn't as enamored with climbing as I was near the beginning of the game. But um, I really liked climbing early on because it was like a pu- bit of a, a puzzle. Trying to, You looked at a mountain and you're like, eh, I wonder if I could stretch my stamina meter enough to get to that section there. And I really liked that sort of looking at something and sort of trying to judge and try and see if you can pull off a certain climb. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, no, for sure. Because then it, you start... Um, the thing that I really appreciated about it was that it like made me not want to fast travel as much, um, because, mm. because which really lent itself well to the exploration. Because I could I could go to you know climb to a huge cliff, and you know nine times out of ten there would be something up there. And even if there wasn't something up there, there was probably at least a good enough of a vantage point that I could look off. Um, to see where I would go next, um, which really helped because I was like, oh, cool. Like I, I went shrine. I remember going shrine hunting, um, to try to get, uh, enough hearts for the master sword. And I got to a point where I was like, oh man, like where in the world are these shrines? And I would sometimes climb to like the tallest mountain. And I'd be like, okay, well I don't see anything. And then I'd see like a small orange glowing dot in the distance. And I'm like, well, I know where I'm going, and I just jump off the cliff. I would just go, like, fly towards the orange dot. And then, like, I, yep. you know, of course, something else would happen along the way, but I would get so um, entranced in the idea of, oh, man, I wonder what else is out there um, if I just climb enough of these things. Yeah, but it was it was just really, like, the game just really took me um, by surprise with a lot of the uh, bold choices it made. Um, one of the choices it made that I... I'll be honest, I thought I was going to hate it, and I actually didn't, was the uh, weapon uh, degrading system. Breaking, yeah. Yeah, just the way, (laughs) yeah, however you say that. Just the the weapons breaking. Um, I um, really, really hate it when a weapon breaks in a video game. Um, Just because it feels like, what was the purpose of it breaking? Because, like, I enjoyed using it, and now I can't use it. But in this, yep. it's done so smart that I didn't feel bad about it. Um, and the way the Great Plateau is laid out really lends itself well to, hey, you know, you've got a few items laying around here if you run out of a weapon or you decide to act stupidly with your weapons um, to really kind of, like, you know, teach you how to work with the system. But I really actually enjoyed being able to, uh, being forced to use different weapons I would never, ever touch. Yeah, I thought... Um that, like, I wouldn't like the breaking of the weapons as well because I kind of, yeah, similar thoughts. I get sort of annoyed at it sometimes in other games, but I think if it only becomes annoying... Like, in this game, I was like, okay, I'm just not going to worry about it. Just you got to make that decision at the start, like, early on, just to be like, don't worry about them breaking. There's always more. Totally. There's always more out there. And um, I think the people that, like... Because I, I could have easily fallen into the other camp where I was like, yeah, some people like try to hoard their their more powerful weapons for for later, and then you just never end up using them. Like you're just holding them for no real reason. Um, I think yeah, like the people that were doing that weren't having as good a time with it, and that's the people that had a more negative view on the the breaking system. I think um, because I think yeah, you have to just embrace it to to get the most out of it and to like sort of have the most fun with the game because yeah I, I don't like having to um worry about you know oh I might use this later on or I might need this later on sort of thing especially because like yeah, in the game you can just there's nothing you can't re-get there's they're always going to respawn 
Like, yeah. It's enough of everything. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of the thing I kept telling myself is, you know, no matter how much it would bug me, like, as long as I just wouldn't think about it and I would just use what I had, um, it actually kind of taught me how to use my inventory system a lot more. Because um, in an mm. RPG, I normally find myself saving whatever big... Um, whatever like big grand weapons or items I have and never wanting to use them or sometimes being afraid to sell them. And in this game, it kind of like just broke me. It's like, Hey, it's okay. Like go ahead and, you know, sell these items that you think are valuable or, you know, that you think you need to hold on to go ahead and sell them or go ahead and use that giant weapon that you got like, you know, 30 uh, shrines ago and go ahead and try and use it. Like it worked really, really well. Um, and once you start finding out that, you know, there's certain um, enemies that are weaker against certain weapons and the way you start, like, p- working together with what you have, it worked out really, really well. And just knowing that you had, um, you know, you always have a tool to um, take care of an enemy, whether it be, like, the bombs or whether it be, like, just the multiple, mm. um, like, slots that you could unlock for your bows and arrows. Um, it, everything just felt really, really uh, smartly uh, designed. Um when it came down to it, which I really just, I really enjoyed that. The only thing in the game I'm not as like super keen on is like the story. I was like from the initial trails that made the story seem like it might've been more interesting or had some, something a bit more to it than the, it's pretty like straightforward really. Um, it's pretty much conventional Zelda story, except like, delayed by a hundred years like he they kind of failed and then had to come back and beat it again basically but i don't know yeah that's that's fair what do you think um i so initially i was i was worried about that um because like watching the trailer i definitely got the same vibe you did like oh my goodness this is going to be such a well-told story um and i thought it was going to be structured differently um and so once i probably would i'd say once i like went to like went the first time to Ganon just to kind of see what was up. And I started realizing like, Oh, this is how this is going to play out. I, I, I don't know if I was bothered by it or if I was like, Oh, thank goodness. Cause like, I, it's a little bit of both for me. Um, cause I love, love, love Zelda's story. Um, but sometimes I feel as if it's story also is sometimes the thing that bogs it down. Um, not necessarily that it makes it, um, a slog to get through, but sometimes it makes it feel sort of slow. So like in the beginning of going back to Twilight Princess, and I promise I do like Twilight Princess. I just, (laughs) I keep bringing it up as my reference point because that's the, uh, the one that kind of started making me feel this way towards Zelda. But the opening, the opening for that game, um, as many know, are, is very kind of, kind of a sludge. Um, and once you get going in the game, it's very good, but it feels very bogged down because of that opening. Um, and it just feels like it has a lot of unnecessary elements. And even though it's teaching you, you know, elements later for the game, um, I thought this was just a much more slick way of like, Hey, like the first hour is you getting your pair, you know, your paraglider and learning how to do a dungeon uh, or shrine rather. And once you learn all these things on the Great Plateau, go for it. Like, everything is yours. And it, like, the most it took me was probably, like, an hour. And then after that, everything was free game. Um, but, yeah, like... This... See, I don't have a problem with, like... I really liked how it opened up and you were playing from the start. Like, that's a good thing. Like, I got sort of... Yeah, Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess had that really long story stuff at the beginning. And it was kind of boring. But, um... Yeah, that's not really the thing I have an issue with. Is just like the content 
of the story. Like, they could have set it up exactly the same, but made it a bit more, like, some of the story more interesting or... Yeah. Like, um, t- some more twists or something. I don't know. I don't know exactly what, but, like... I do make know... Make it a little bit more different. Yeah. The one, I would say, if I had to, like, nitpick at all on the story... I think, so Majora's Mask was previously my favorite um, Zelda, and it was because, like, primarily for the story, because I found the Mm. world and the lore of the game to be so interesting. Um, The idea that there are these giant, you know, beings that, you know, like, and the whole theory is that um, it's about, like, the stages of grief and everything. It's just got much more rich history to it. So I do agree that even Mm -hmm. though, like, this definitely had some rich history, I feel like it did a lot more showing than it did telling. Um, which, which worked in, you know, it worked in some ways, but it didn't always pay off in others. Um, I did find the flashbacks to be very, um, appealing. Although the one thing I do think it could have, it could have used is it probably could have had better ways to funnel you down the path to find those. Um, cause like by the time that I was getting ready to go fight Ganon, I knew I was going to collect those first. Um, cause there are two, like there's an additional ending you get if you find those, Mm -hmm. um, and I, and honestly, I just kind of looked them up because I was like, well, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna waste another hour trying to find these. I'll just look them up and, you know, go from there. Um, because I want to, I want to beat Ganon. I want to beat this game, <laughs> you know, soon. Um, but yeah, I feel like they could have done a little bit of a better job, um, managing you like, hey, here's how you can get to the story just a little bit easier. Here's a little bit more story for you. But overall, I didn't find it too too jarring um it, i still felt like it was good enough to where um as somebody who enjoys souls games as well i'm kind of okay with a little bit more of a storytelling from visual perspective rather than hey here's a cutscene to show you what happened yeah yeah i mean like there's a lot of interesting monuments and buildings in the world that hint at the greater history of hyrule and like you could probably walk around and look at each one and like so try and decipher like exactly what that means or whatever that, that's that's cool yeah but, um no for sure yeah i don't know like the the cutscenes and stuff probably i don't know some of them were quite good some of them were a bit short and sort of eh i like i did like hunting down the memories though because like i would look at the picture and be like i know sort of know where that is and then i would go to that area look around the landscape and try and find that exact angle from yeah. the picture and then like I tracked most of them down like that but then some the last few I just like looked up where they were because I was like ah like, <laughs> I could I don't really want to wander around for another three hours trying to exactly find the last few but, um <laughs> good to know another thing I think that could have been another thing that could could have been interesting would be instead of like a, just a cutscene at those spots you were transported back and you could control link back in that time period and sort of do a short section within that like you might have to do like a a little i don't know say mission and then like it ends with like that that cutscene sort of thing like it led up to the cutscene you walked around and like interacted with people in in the world and stuff in sort of a limited way yeah i agree there there could have been a little bit smarter implementation of oh that's right i remember like the, the few times i thought it worked okay um like if it was like a very critical story um beat like the one i think that stands out the most to me um is probably the one with link and uh zelda in the forest when they're running um from some of the guardians and then also the one where um 
there, uh, she comes back from like Mount Lanayru and they're all standing around talking about it. And that's exactly when Calamity Ganon hits and they all have to like really quickly make haste. Like those were the ones where I was like, Oh my goodness. Yes. This is exactly what I would want out of these cutscenes. Um, cause in a game yeah. that has minimal cutscenes, I want the cutscenes that it has to be impactful and to be something that is like large, like it affects me as a player where I can go, Oh, I can totally see why this should have an emotional an impact and it should affect like my gameplay up to this point. Um, a couple of games that do that really well is like metal gear, Solid five, the Phantom pain or bloodborne. Every time I would get a cutscene in any of those games, I'm like, Oh, okay. So that means that something like this, um, is a culmination of all the things I've done up to this point. Whereas with this, like, a few of the cutscenes I get were kind of just to flush out the characters, but every once in a while I would question, like, oh, okay, well, I don't know why that was meant to be, like, a memory that Link would hold on to, like, super well. Like, the frog one, uh, specifically, I thought was cute, but I, there was times where I was like, as a, as a player, like, the emotional impact of that scene doesn't quite get me as much as something like, you know, Calamity again and striking uh, when she comes back from Mount Laneiru. Like, some of those scenes, I was just like, okay, well, I, I get the purpose of it, but I, I don't find it always, like, I didn't find everyone paid off. But a good few yeah. of them I thought were okay. But yeah, close, like, as far as, like, my overall feel on the game, like, I just, I, I could not be more um, impressed with it. Um, just the amount of freedom that Nintendo decided to allow the player with this whole experience was just really surprising to me. I didn't expect them, I I didn't really expect any developer at any point to try and accomplish a game where they say, like, we're not worried about the sequence in which you do things, we're not worried about what you climb on, we're not worried about, like, any, like, they basically gave you no boundaries outside of in the shrines, being able to, like, not climb on them to break the puzzles. Like, the entire thing was completely free, and I... As a player, that's really, really empowering, knowing that the developer of the game trusts you enough to go ahead and play the game however you desire. That's really, really cool. Um, so I was overall like blown away with the game. And you're excited for the DLC then? Oh, absolutely. I um, I don't think I bought it week like the first week it came out, but like within the following weeks, I did purchase it. Um, and I'm slowly tracking down all of the uh, all of the costumes. Um, as far as the DLC. I'm really hoping it flushes out the story more, um, because as we discussed with the story, like I wanted to see a few more, you know, emotionally impactful scenes. Um, I also felt like the the final boss, um, Dark Beast Ganon. I felt like even though it was a really, really nice. Um, like, big epic moment, like, the way in which you beat him, and then the way in which it ends, it feels a, just a tad bit flatter than maybe I would have expected, so I'm really kind of hoping that, like, if the DLC, I assume the DLC is going to take place, like, during the time of the Champions, with it being called the Champions Valid, so I'm really hoping that... No, the, I think it, I think it's, like, I don't know, my, I guess there's a connection to the Champions, but, like, isn't it set after the game... It's set after the end of the game. Oh, okay. I did not like, know that. Yeah. So cool. So I don't know. that gives me a more hope than that they'll kind of flesh out some more of what they'll plan on doing after. Because that feels kind of like even with the uh, scene that you get at the end after you get all the photos, I kind of felt like okay, cool. So I got all these photos to for her to tell Link that oh, yep, it's time to go re you know remake everything in Hyrule and fix everything. So that yeah. I mean that's it's definitely not a bad ending. I just felt like it was kind of it was standard. It was definitely what I what I expected from you know from an ending like that. 
Um, but I mean, the game is about the journey. So I, I definitely would agree that the journey, um, I would say that the journey was definitely worth taking more so than even just seeing the ending. But yeah, no, I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely excited about the DLC. All right then. Um, I guess we'll leave it there. I think we've chatted a fair bit about your thoughts and general more Zelda stuff that, you know, it's been spoken about to death on everywhere else on the internet, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, it's always good to come back and have a chat about, about Zelda again, because like, I haven't, yeah, I haven't touched the game for ages now, and um, I did dabble in, like, I played a little bit of it again when the DLC came out, and I felt kind of, I needed to get back into it, because I felt really sloppy on, like, how to play the game again, like, the controls and, like, shooting, taking out enemies and stuff, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not sort of my muscle memory wasn't good enough to overcome, like, <laughs> compensate enough, I guess. But um, Just walk up to a Lionel and just instantly, they just get yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, practice again, because, like, I need to try and beat that uh, Trials, the Master yeah. Trials at some point. I but. still got to go around to getting to doing that, because that's definitely something I want to accomplish before it gets too late in the year. I want to try to do that. Okay, well, thanks, Kelton, for having a chat, and uh, we'll be hopefully back with another episode in a couple of weeks, everyone, so... Um, stay tuned for that and uh, as always if you have any questions or comments please send them to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com alright then bye everyone bye bye to a connectivity bonus segment we haven't had one of these since i took over running connectivity actually um so we're bringing it back with a classic doctor who episode and today i'm joined oh i'm nicholas bray and today i'm joined by amanda albert hello and mike sglens hey i'm back on connectivity you're back you should come on more often maybe (laughs) i will ask me to come on yeah um so today we're going to yeah talk about the latest season of Doctor Who, which finished up like a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I don't really know where to start, but I guess we should maybe just start, you know, at the beginning of the season and our general thoughts on the new companion, at least, um, uh, Bill Potts. Yeah. What do you guys think of Bill Potts? I like her eyebrows. I like everything about Bill. I think she's very refreshing mm. on the show, and she's like wide-eyed and exciting and just funny and i don't know i like her a lot yeah i I think she's the oh sorry no go for it i was just gonna say i think she's the companion i've liked the most like for a while now um she sort of yeah it was fun right away yeah she had a definite personality Mm. yeah there was almost no like breaking in her character it just felt like she fit right away Mm -hmm. it was really good Good chemistry. This whole, some of the early, the early parts of this season reminded me a bit of, um, sort of the structure of 
the first season of the new show. Like, it seemed like Moffat might have been sort of mimicking RTD a little bit at the start there. Do you Just think it's because they... The companion and... Do you think it's because they did a Victorian episode in the third one? And they did a future episode in the second one, too. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like yeah. Russell T a lot to me towards the beginning, especially. There's a lot of... Yeah, like, yeah. We watched the episode earlier tonight where it's the monster under the ice, and that just feels like a Russell T episode all the way through. In the good way. Mm. So, uh, the first episode, uh, it was like this weird puddle episode. Um, it was like a, what, like a conscious... Yeah, that one was weird. Puddle? <laughs> the pilot? <laughs> what was that exactly? <laughs> Gak. <laughs> Gak. <laughs> um, so, that was sort of set up. I liked how that, like, set up the the end as well for the whole series. I know that's skipping ahead, but, like, the first episode and the last episode are, are linked. Mm-hmm by um, what happened in the first episode with the girl getting turned into, like, this, um, I don't know, she, I can't really remember how... Like, nanomachines or what, something. Was she right? Oh, who cares? I think she was, like, nanomachines that could repair yeah. a ship, and they were sentient. Sounds, um, that, sounds right. That was a really weird concept. I don't think I fully understood it. I didn't, long as they mm. could explain it, that's fine. Good enough. It's not gonna be... Memorable enough, obviously. <laughs> what was your um, favorite episode of the season then? Thin Ice, probably. I like that a lot. That that three-part arc just killed me. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say the get to that the uh, sort of the loose three-parter. In the oh, I really like Oxygen less. I thought Oxygen yeah. was great. Really clever twist at the end with the Doctor going mm. blind, and then it kind of like reverberates a bit for the next couple episodes even though that three-part arc with the monks was i think of the worst part of the season it is garbage it's just like um how is it how bad does it have to be if the whole world is ending and i couldn't care like what was happening in those episodes it was just i know things are happening but it wasn't terribly interesting as much as i like the characters yeah, there's some good there's some good um moments with Nadol and Yeah, well, there's but, a few yeah, funny bits. Three episodes were Yeah, I thought those three episodes were kind of boring, really. You know, I was looking forward to seeing a three parter in the new series and there was like kind of Yeah, of I thought the first part was and, uh, good. I don't think I wanted to <laughs> It this. reminded me of uh <laughs> when you were it took me back to watching like a old Peter Davison one where it drags on and on and on. Mm. And you yeah, can't even remember how it started. I thought the third part was all right, but the middle part was, like, just bad. I just really didn't like the middle part at all. And then after that, we saw the return of the uh, Ice Warriors. What was your favorite? Interesting. Oh, my favorite. Um, uh, It's got to have to be the final two-parter. I think that was easily the best two episodes Mm, in the season. Yeah, they're really fun. It's an easy choice, but um, I really like it. It's an easy choice, but it's a good choice. I think that's the best Cyberman story they've ever done. You uh, think so? Like, it's like pretty fun. I really enjoyed part, it. In like part one where they're creating mm-hmm. the Cyberman, I thought that was a really good origin story. Yeah. And I just love them bringing back the old costume, and somehow they've still managed to make it look good, as hokey as it is. And I'm a sucker for those old ones, you know? Like those Mondasian Cybermen? Yeah. I- yeah. Is that what charmed you? <laughs> 
Yeah, I really, I really like the design of them. Um, and I think it, they did a good. I think they could have come off really bad. The, the oh, you're so right. Yes. Start if they just started off um, throwing the Cybermen right into the mm-hmm. story, but they sort of justified it by showing the gradual change that the people were going through. Yeah. In the hospital and stuff. So it was more creepy that And way. it canonizes all the older stuff, too. Like, that's always my... What I think is the best parts of the show is when they're doing something new, but they're still tying it back to the, all the previous history of the show. Mm-hmm. And um, Peter Capaldi, like, wanted the old Cybermen in, it, in the story. Oh, I didn't so know that! He sort of got his wish. Yeah, he, he, for a couple, the last couple of years, he's been saying, like, poking Moffat to say, oh, bring back the original Cybermen, and so he... I guess Moffat just did it for It's such a good idea. Because it was his last season. Yeah. <clears throat> As for the worst episode, I thought it was that Eaters, the Eaters of Light um, episode in Sc- set in Scotland. Eaters of Light. I can't even remember which one this is. You told me this Someone earlier, Mike. Oh, with, with the soldiers. Sol- yeah. With yes. the handsome Roman soldier. Yeah, that's right. There's a good looking one. Um, it wasn't bad. I just... I hate... I hate multi-parters, generally, but, uh, so, so that kind of clouds my judgment. I can't remember what the hell was, um... Well, that wasn't a multi-parter. Was no, it? but I'm saying it clouds my judgment a little bit, because I'm blindsided by the my hatred for the multi-parters, typically. But, yeah, I wouldn't say that's one of the strong ones. Yeah, I thought, I thought Eaters of Light was... It was alright. Like, it was kind of Monster of the Week. It was good, but... Well, I like a monster of a week episode. That's I wouldn't yeah, the one that on, against with it. With the Ice Warriors, that was Monster of the Week, and I really liked that one. And so was Thin Ice. Yeah, I really liked so. that one too. I think what annoyed me about that one, though, is that I always want them to address certain things, and I know it, that show survives on being like ambiguous, but when you see them there in Rome, you kind of want them, since it's Capaldi's last season, to kind of make some kind of reference to where he got his face or something. And they, well, they weren't in Rome. They, weren't they in Rome? No, it was Scotland. Uh, it's Roman soldiers in but Ro- Scotland. Yeah, but I'm saying Roman soldiers in Scotland. They could have still had some kind of reference or reason. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's like him all over, isn't it? Because it's got the Roman connection. And yes, that's what Scottish, I'm saying. So... It would have been, it's like, look, for me, it was like a remiss opportunity. Yeah, I could have at least put, like, a little joke in there or something. Something. I just, I can't help but associate it with that, with the Roman time, because that's where we first saw him. I think, um, my least favorite was whatever the middle of that three-parter was. I can't even remember the name of yeah. it. It was not, it's, I don't ever want to see it again. It was, uh, The Pyramid at the End of the yeah. World. Yeah. Not that. Not good. A terrible title. (laughs) Do we like this show? (laughs) I I thought I really like this show. This season was super good. Every season has bad episodes. This one only had one truly bad episode, and then it had a it had its ups and downs, but it had a lot of ups. I'm glad he kind of knocked it off with the overcomplicated shit. Yeah, he used to do those ones where, like, if we don't if we don't solve this problem, the whole universe is destroyed. And I got <laughs> real tired of that with Moffat. Like, he couldn't stop raising yeah. the stakes. Mm-hmm. 
So I feel like he reined himself in a lot this season, and it yeah. showed a lot, and it was a huge benefit to the show. And I like Capaldi being a professor. That works really well, I think, for him. They kind of just, like, abandoned the whole vault thing, though, like, near, towards the end. It's sort of like, oh, yeah, Missy's out now, so... Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it was just like a like a ticking clock, like, you know something's coming, but then there's no repercussions yeah. when it comes at all. Yeah. It's, I thought the I thought having Missy in the vault was a little bit like everyone sort of guessed that already, and it was kind of a bit I don't know boring. I guess it would have been maybe more interesting if it was the Sim Master inside the vault instead. Oh, uh, that's yeah. what I thought it was going to be because I knew he was going to be in this season. Yeah, and then there's an episode yeah. where like she's knocking on the door, and I was like, no, they should be knocking four times. Do you remember how I used to yeah. say everything was the master? <laughs> this time I was, was finally right. You were. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he was he was dedicated to um, trying to screw the doctor over in the two. Or trying to he screw him. Like ten years or more just to do that in disguise. <laughs> he was in that whole disguise just to fuck with the doctor. That was and great. that terrible accent. Yeah. So evil. I love the reveal because it was sort of like the master used to dress up all the time. Yes! Like, and then like in this one, he he pulled he pulled the face off, and then they <laughs> zoomed the camera in on his face. Like it, it was like a bad soap opera. It was so good. <laughs> like doesn't he do that in um one of my? It's not it's not one of my favorites because it's good. It's one of my favorites because it's so of its time. It's the Peter Davison one where they're on the Concord. Oh yeah, um, time flight. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, of course you know the title. This is why I like you. And uh, doesn't the master do it there? And isn't he pretending to be some like Chinese guy the whole time? I don't actually remember because I I haven't really watched that one um, that much. Mm. You're not missing a lot. Yeah, no. I I sort of don't like the uh, towards the end of the 80s of Doctor Who. I just (laughs) don't like it really. Why? Uh, I don't know the production values, just the the actors, the stories. That it's not as good. That it's the soundtrack, just everything, just everything, pretty much. Yeah. Adric, Adric. <laughs> oh fuck, Adric! I hate Adric, you guys. I really, He's I'm so not, happy when I he got like blown it. up and he killed all the dinosaurs. That was know, my favorite episode. Do you know the plot of what Adric's story is? Sorry. Hello. Do you know the plot point of Adric's life in that show? plot point what like do you know his are you familiar with the character adric yeah yeah do you know his story no what like his arc um yeah yeah yeah. i know he dies and stuff but like he doesn't really have an arc he's just sort of annoying and then dies yeah yes i agree completely but i just (laughs) yeah that's his arc (laughs) and he kills all the dinosaurs yeah that's what we always say what an asshole he killed all the dinosaurs and then he died so he got what he deserved there was actually this is, getting, this is getting off topic, but like ages ago, I <laughs> saw someone's like claymation, um, s- like sequel to Adric crashing onto the planet Earth, and like Adric uh-huh. survives and then just gets eaten by a dinosaur. <laughs> 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 yes, I would getting off topic, but well worth it, I say. <laughs> this is now the fuck Adric cast. <laughs> God, I hate him. <laughs> but um, speak, going back to the master, um, it was really good to have John Sim um, have another crack at it and sort of redeem himself. Like, you know, yeah, his, his last appearance isn't that yeah. story uh, where he's sort of 
crazy and silly. Oh, you didn't like him in the pumps and the skirt? Oh, is that the one where he's like, he becomes everyone on the planet? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then he, yeah, at that's the end a little, of the episode, a camp, he goes but it's Russell T. to Gallifrey with Rassilon and stuff. Yeah, it was really cool to see him come back and just kind of like, cheese it up enough, but then also be like, really, really evil. Like, he's way more evil than Missy. Like, way more. Yeah, because like, mm-hmm. Missy... You- and that's kind of, I think, the whole point of it, yeah. is like, the struggle... Of identity between Missy and John Sims' master, where he, like, he's just complete, like, chaotic evil, and she's drifting more towards chaotic neutral in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked how, um, you know, at the end of the story, basically for the masters, um, that, you know, the Doctor did have an influence. He, he did change Missy's, like, personality and made her, you know, choose to be good, I guess, sort of. There is some hope. There's some hope, but then she dies. <laughs> so maybe uh, who knows? Who like- do you want to be the new doctor? Ah, uh, um, I have no idea. <laughs> Someone interesting. I I couldn't deal with yes. with a boring another sort of boring choice. Um, I really don't like the idea of that guy from Death in Paradise being the new doctor that was going around. I agree. Long. Nope. Nope. Yeah, nope. No. Nope. Yeah. I mean, he can do it, I want it well enough, but it's just be the same as Get the somebody others. more dynamic, though. I want something I haven't seen. Mm. Like, I always say, want uh, Richard Ayawade. I don't know who that is. You don't know who that is? You should know. You're Australian. You, should, you have more access to the BBC than I do. I don't watch that much He's TV. on a... <laughs> <laughs> Only Doctor Who. Pretty much. Uh... <laughs> um, he's on a, the IT crowd. Is probably what you would have seen him in. He's Moss, Maurice Moss. I haven't watched that show. So, <laughs> well, what about? Seen him. What about? You watch a bunch of British chat shows. What about the? Uh, is it the Crystal Palace, Mike? Oh, the Crystal Maze, but that just started airing like a week ago. Oh. <laughs> well, that's really good. Anyways, you should watch it. Would, uh, they were kind of, do you think, what do you think the likelihood of it being like a female doctor this time? I think they were heavily hinting at it uh, towards the end of the season. I think they were too. Didn't they already like kind of say who it was? I mean, not completely, but the yeah, word on the street. There was that, meat, was that right? rumor yeah. there was that girl, that woman that um might be rumored to be the doctor, right? Wait, 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 wait. Let's do our research here. We can do something, right? We can Google this. We'll Google this. I do find it strange that they person. haven't sort of announced it yet, though. Like, usually we'll know by now. Yeah, I felt yeah, like, like that, too. Ball, they had that big TV special where they're like, here's the new Doctor. And then it, that kind of well, fell was... on its face, because everyone was like, oh, no, I hate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even though he's fantastic. Yeah, Phoebe? And he's, like, the best okay. Doctor they've had yeah. I got since the, na- the reboot. So good. I got the name. It's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I have no idea Which I would... how good she would be or anything, but I guess it'd be an interesting. Well, you don't you know. watch TV. I like her and the other things I've seen. I think she's to me. I always am like, okay, can they be funny? Can they be kind of uh, eccentric and like mm. weird and scary? And then can they like do a good monologue? Yeah. And I think she could do those things, so that's fine enough by me. I've kind of tried to let go of all my preconceived notions at this point because I've been wrong before. 
It'll probably just be someone we've never heard of before. It'll just be some random new person. Like a new Matt Smith? Yeah. Like a totally unknown? Just Turned out great last time. Just not freaking milk toast, please. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we'll ever get a milk toast doctor. Have we had one yet? Since the reboot? So since the reboot? No, I don't think so. Yeah, they've all been good. I think they'll do a good job. I hope. We'll see. It's. Just, I don't ever think they'll pick somebody terrible. It's just sometimes you're you're so annoyed with the choice because of all the uh, opportunity that they could have had to get something more compelling. Yeah, I try not to stay invested in it and just kind of you know I'll wait and see who it is. Like I don't want to get my hopes up for anybody because then I'll just. Oh, but down. that's fun. It's fun to be let down. You know, even if, like, the initial um, reaction is like, oh, they chose that person, I always, like, give them a good chance to, you know. Oh, yeah. They'll yeah. probably be pretty good, no matter who it is, so it's not usually a, a big deal. But, yeah, they're but not I don't cast want a bad that actor. other guy. Sorry? But I don't want that one guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more excited about Chris Chibnall taking over because I'm just interested yes! to see like a new take on Doctor Who, and I wonder if it's going to get really dark or anything because Broadchurch. Was It'll really never dark. get really dark because it's still a, a show for kids as well. I mean, they can only go so far. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of the first Doctor showing up though at the end? That's oh going to be fun. I'm so excited. That's yeah. so cool to have David Bradley come back it's, to replay the first Doctor. That was, I was, they were kind of hinting at it. Yeah. I, and then Amanda and I looked at each other and we were like, oh, what's happening? And then he yeah. came out and we both like freaked out. Because I'd read rumors like people were saying, oh, the first Doctor's going to show up at, at the end and the Christmas special. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a nice rumor. But I kind of, I don't know, I don't see it maybe happening because it's usually too good to be true, those sort of things. And then they actually mm-hmm. did it. So. Uh, it's interesting that it looks like Capaldi showed up maybe in the story The Tenth Planet, like the last story for the First Doctor. That's where he regenerates in that story. Mm. Um, and he's like mm. mysteriously just like gets sick for two episodes in that story because William Hartnell. Oh, yeah. William Hartnell was um, actually sick or something. So they sort of wrote yeah. him out of the story. But now they might be like, oh, he was like faking it and he's going out to help a future doctor. That'd be funny. Love it. Oh, that'd be, that'd be so a really good. clever way to like retcon a whole yeah. plot into the yeah. first doctor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, and that's what it does. People. Yeah, and that's what it what it does, man, when it's at its best is it's it's linking it up. Mm. That's some Moffat shit too. Like he would totally do that. Oh, he would. Then he would totally congratulate himself. The snowy place where the TARDIS has landed looks like, you know, the place was snowy in the original story too, so it could be. And it was you- a Cyber- and it was a Cyberman story as well, so. Ooh. See, you got the inside baseball, you know. All right, we got to find this episode and watch it now. I think I've watched. The 10th wa- Planet? I've wa- I have watched some at your recommendation of the first Doctor, and they've been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what ones I suggested, so... You told me to watch The Escape. Oh, uh, yep. I think you told me that was one of your favorite ones, and I thought it was really good. Hmm. I, I think I suggested The Aztecs as well, maybe. Yeah, which I enjoyed also. That one's good. That would be so fun to see them do something in that kind of environment again with today's budget. It would look so good. Yeah, 
and then they've got the they've got the costumes for the 60s Cybermen. So if they wanted to like mingle into that story even more, they could. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I really hope this happens. Yeah. So what else? What else is there? Um, did you guys like Nardol? I thought he was pretty funny the whole throughout the whole season. I like Nardol. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's really good when the Doctor has two companions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it lets it gives lets them play off each other and it lets them do different things. And I thought Nardole was really cool because he's like, like he's kind of a babysitter for the Doctor, but then also like he's he's really funny and witty. Like Matt Lucas is great mm. in yeah. anything usually, so it was he, really cool to just have him on set. He reminded me of Nurse Ratchet a bit with the Doctor, which is kind <laughs> of what he needs, honestly. I kind of liked the um the dynamic because all the other male companions, maybe like except Captain Jack, um that they've had is they're sort of like second fiddle to the female companion. They know they already know they know the Doctor through the female companion, and this time it was sort of mm-hmm. not all was separate separated from Bill. Like he was his mm-hmm. own thing, and not just connected mm-hmm. through someone. Yeah, yeah he's not even human. He's like a robot, yeah, right? Yeah, he's like an android thing, isn't he? Yeah. But, but I also like it because, it, for what you just mentioned, he kind of doesn't take any shit from the Doctor. Yeah. Which usually they're kind of also beta males. Mm. And plus, it also, because because he's like an android with like lots of alien knowledge, it lets them use him as exposition a lot, so the Doctor doesn't need to explain fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's nice that Nardole can just kind of slide background info in there and like help flesh out the plot, mm. and it's not all running on the shoulders of the Doctor, like being a know-it-all. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that before, but yeah, you're right. It's like it helped a bit to make it feel a bit different, maybe. We get deep about yeah, Doctor Who. Nardole do different things. So, what did you guys think of the Doctor going blind? Because that's like a big part of the season. That's like almost a quarter of the episodes. He's blind, man. I yeah. When he went blind, I thought I told you I thought he was going to be blind for the rest of the season because they know this is his last season anyway. So let's just do something crazy and make him blind for all of it. And then he got his sight back like four episodes later. But still, I thought it was a really cool like subplot where he goes through and he's and he's blind and it changes the dynamic of what he can do and how he can act. And he's trying to keep it secret from Bill the whole time. He's lying to her and telling her, "Oh no, I can see fine." Mm -hmm. Plus, it lets him wear the sunglasses and he looks really good them so i just i don't know i i really liked it i thought it was a a really daring direction to move the show in i just kind of wish that it lasts the whole season yeah i was surprised that they like when it happened i was actually surprised and i thought oh wow that's Mm -hmm. something new like i I kind of expected it just to be made okay at the end of the episode like usual yeah me too yeah and then they twist it and they're like no this is a lasting consequence yeah and i think it would i I agree it would have been interesting if he had to deal with it for the entire rest of the season and um or even like because when um uh moffat took over he I think he toyed with the idea of having the Doctor, like, be regenerating throughout the entire season, slowly, mm. uh, like, he's succumbing to the effects or something, and I thought that might have been, like, where he was maybe taking it with the eyesight thing, like, he's going to injure the Doctor, and then, like, you know, he'll regenerate at the end and be all good again, but, um, yeah, it was kind of a bit of a cop-out that he just got it fixed, but... Yeah, I like it when they actually have uh, <clears throat> stronger consequences. It makes you uh, way more invested. Mm. 
Yeah, but it was still nice to get it, even for a little bit, to see something, like, really drastically different on the show. Yeah, whenever I the Doctor has got to be vulnerable, it's pretty compelling. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's it. It makes it much more vulnerable. Did you, uh, like, we, I sort of knew that Bill was going to leave at the end of the season um, mm-hmm. already, but, I don't know, it was kind of, yeah, when she got transformed into a Cyberman, he's like, oh, damn, they went all the way, and, like... <laughs> killed her basically yeah. yeah that was another thing where it's like consequences ha huh? the doctor's like had his companion turned into a cyberman like this is maybe the worst thing that's ever happened to one of his companions aside from but then that, they kind of right? like they deus ex machina in it literally with the like the the nano gel yeah. lady or whatever she's a machine so she literally comes in and saves the day like, well then oh, they went to then they went to go live in uh what is they it? Have to go be space uh, space wives. No, what is it from the Black Mirror? Oh, San Junipero. Yeah, they went to San Junipero. It's a nice place. It's great this time of year. <laughs> Do you know Black Mirror, Nick? You don't watch TV. No, I, I know what it is, but I haven't watched it. There's a great episode having to do with a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It's called San Junipero. Okay. <laughs> well, see, there were some episodes we didn't. If talk you watch about it, yet. what did you guys then think? Then you of, can uh... laugh at how t- how appropriate the comparison is. Yeah. I, I hope they don't. Um, I kind of hope they don't bring her back for the like towards the end of the Christmas special or something because the the pilot said, "Oh yeah, I could just make you human again and you'd be fine." But oh you know. shit! Yeah, you're right. They better not. Yeah. I think it was one of those things where, like, we don't know if Pearl Mackey's going to sign her contract. So, hmm. question mark. I think they're going to not, like, she won't be in ne- next season. They'll they'll have a blank slate next year, I think. Yeah. That'll well, be especially exciting. if they go with a lady doctor, they'll probably have a male companion, right? Uh, well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> you think what is that supposed to mean, it Mike? Sense, probably, but, but then you could have, like, a two... You could have, like, multiple companions again, I guess. Uh, that might be a better way to do it. Um, I like what if you had two ladies in space? I do like the multiple companions. I feel like whenever he has to, like... It works good for him wanting to manipulate them. Which works well for plots. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if the two companions are bickering... Yeah. He can choose whether or not he uses that to his advantage... Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to have a B-plot when you've got three characters. Right. It's really hard to have two plots when you have two characters. Yes. They could have, like, you know, bring back sort of the Dr. Jamie sort of um, relationship. Oh, Amanda would be so happy (laughs) if they brought Jamie back. (laughs) Amanda loves Jamie. Yeah. We've been watching Outlander, and I can totally see how that was a Doctor Who fanfiction originally. (laughs) Did you know that about it? Or it's not really, It's but it was inspired by Jamie McCrimmon. Oh, really? The writers <laughs> wrote it because of him? Yeah. Yeah, there's a character that's basically Jamie. Uh-huh. His name is Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, yeah, and he's that's a Scottish tough. Highlander Yeah. from the same era. And he looks just like the actor they got, obviously looks like him, too. Yeah, if they were going to recast like a new actor to play Jamie, they would definitely just cast this guy. <laughs> He's really good. Yeah. So there's some episodes. Uh, I have some episodes we didn't talk about yet. What did you guys think of the one with the uh, emoji bots? Yeah, I liked it. I liked that one. 
I thought that one was a little weird. It reminded me a little bit of um, uh, the girl who waited. That's the one where yeah. with the other helper bots, right? Uh, they reminded me of those the helper last bots immediately. Truly good episode. That episode's <sighs> great. Don't get me started on the girl who waited. That oh, episode. and then there's the one with Poirot in the haunted house where where Bill's looking for a uh, an apartment and Poirot shows up. Yep. Do you know Poirot, Nick? I can't remember the actor. I can't remember wait, the wait, actor's wait. name, but he's. Yeah. You know Poirot. Yeah, the TV station I work at runs it still. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's that actor's name? Why can't I remember it? Uh, um... Oh, David Suchet. That's it. That's yeah. it. It's fun to say. Poirot. He was, they were going to, like, I read something, they were going to make him, like, related to Harry, Harry, was it Harry Sullivan from the old series, but they backed out on uh, the last minute. Hmm. Do you remember that character, Harry, with the fourth Doctor? No. Okay. I don't remember that one. Oh, wait, Harry Sullivan, was he, was he around when, um, Sarah Jane was? Yeah, yeah. He was in the first yes. couple of seasons of, um, I do remember. Baker's stuff. Yeah. So they were going to make him related to him? Yeah, I don't know how, but apparently they're going to, like, have a that, tie that, to him. That's a fucking reach. <laughs> Maybe that's why they didn't do it then, I don't know. <laughs> do you ever get that feeling when you're watching it sometimes? Like they're reaching for a connection? <laughs> yeah, like they're really trying to force it. Um, I can't really think of an example, but... Hmm... I felt like, what was it, when the brig came back as a Cyberman? Oh, I was that like, was fuck this. No. Yeah. That's reaching. <laughs> That's reaching. That was bad. No. So offended by that. I was as offended by that as I am at the thought of uh, Trump being in the Hall of Presidents. It's not. <laughs> no, not cool. Don't disrespect the brig. If it, like, they did, they'd already given the brig like a nice little um, moment at the end of an episode. I agree. The right? Yeah. And now they, he like, got it they desecrated his grave by making him rise <laughs> up from the dead, and then like he's alive again, but he's a Cyberman. Like, come on. it would be his actually, worst yeah. nightmare. At the end of the first part of the like the finale, when I was watching the um the next time teaser, and they you saw the modern Cyberman, I thought, oh, don't tell me the Brigadier is going to show up with an <laughs> army to help fight the other ones. You didn't know how right you were. <laughs> The Doctor, like, sends out a distress beacon and the Brigadier shows up with some new Cybermen to fight the old ones. Hmm. God. So, yeah, that was a reach. <laughs> I thought the best cameo, though, the best cameo was at the end of the Ice Warriors, though, where um, Alpha Centauri comes back. Hmm. Do you know Alpha Centauri? That alien? I, mean, I don't know it. So at the end, at the end of that Ice Warriors episode, do you know how... There's like a transmission, and like this this character's talking to the Ice Warriors, saying like "Welcome to the universe" or whatever. Oh like, yeah, I remember that. The universe, Doctor. Like that thing. <laughs> it was like I'm a really gonna find it voice. here. <laughs> um, he was a character. Oh, in, dude! Yes. He was a character in the Pertwee, a uh, couple of Pertwee stories. This eyeball-looking thing. Yeah, yeah, and um, since Gators wrote that episode, like. You know, he oh, had to of course. Do it. Of course. Thanks, Gatus. Gatus loves them ice warriors. He loves them. Did you ever play the what game did you guys think of that Maniac episode? Mansion? No. This thing looks just like the tentacle from Maniac Mansion. He's like a beloved like character that was in like two stories. He's 
he's pretty entertaining in the Kirby <laughs> stuff. Oh, here's a here's some inside baseball about the production of this character. Uh, the voice actor was instructed by the director to make the creature sound like a gay civil servant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Surprisingly, they got the actor to come back for this to, to voice over the character again for the story. The, Excellent. The pers- person's like 96 or something. Whoa, I love that. That's great. Yeah, they're still alive and like, oh, can just come back and voice this character again. Excellent. I thought it was just someone impersonating it, because, I mean, it's not that difficult to do, but that's pretty... Oh, but they love to get back whoever they can, you know? Yeah, they do. (laughs) And those people haven't had work in 30 years. They're thrilled. Did you guys like the Ice Warriors episode? Yeah, I did. I thought it was really good. I love the Ice Warriors. I thought it was much much better than the other Ice Warriors one that they did um, a couple of seasons ago. Oh, you didn't like Oh, no way, I love that one. Lost and Unfound? Come on, you don't like Duran Duran. That's what it is. <laughs> Ultravox, do they break up? Yeah, come on. Good episode. It's got great lighting. You don't like the Blade Runner lighting? Yeah, I mean, it was it was fine. I just didn't get into it as much as um, I thought I would. Heartless. What happened to the Sandman? I've only watched it once. Didn't they so. say they were going to wrap up the Sandman this season? With that, that found footage episode from last season? They said they were going to wrap that up, oh. and they just didn't. I think we should just forget about that terrible episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's got that song, though. I love that song. That was just bad. I just don't. It didn't justify what was happening at all. It's like, what is this? You sleep in your eyes. What? You, come on. They just wanted to get the rekindle the love of uh, the idiot's lantern, mm. which is fine. It's a good episode. Uh, yeah, so I don't really know what else to say. Um, I think we talked about all the episodes. We sort of jumped around a bit, but that's what we usually do on, when we do this Doctor yeah. Who thing. Um, what are your hopes for the Christmas special, then, Elise? Like, what could, don't what you hope suck. Happens? Don't suck. You have I, I've got a lot of hopes. I hope it's so good. I, I was, just think it's really cool to bring David Bradley back. Yeah. I was so emotionally checked out for the last one, that when it wasn't terrible, I was in shock. So really, it could it could go anywhere at this point for me. I quite liked the um, Matt Smith regeneration episode. I thought it was kind of cool. Like, sad a bit. I don't know. I, didn't I like was that sad one. to see him go, but I ridiculous. felt like he did not get the send-off he mm. deserved. But I love him. He's a great actor. He's one of the the better doctors, I think. He can do a monologue like nobody's business. I just... Man, he got screwed. <laughs> As an actor, I would be annoyed. Hopefully he comes back in a couple of years and they do another multi-doctor oh, story. Maybe. You know he would. He has love for that show. I like, like, it's kind of cool, though, that he could just show up no matter how old he gets because they can just say, oh, this is like when he was aged this much on these last episodes. Mm-hmm. Or he's just a curator now. Like, I loved that about having Tom Baker back. Some far-flung doctor. Mm. Yeah, man, that was... that. You can't top that for me. I don't cry every time I watch it or anything. I'm just glad they, they squeezed <laughs> Tom Baker in there, because, like, you know, he, he's not going to be around much longer, probably. Don't say yeah. that! It's like 85. <laughs> don't talk about it. Yeah. 
I don't want to think about it. Have you? Did, I. Uh, he's got a whole bunch of um big Finnish audios under his belt now, like. Uh huh. Tom Baker. Yeah, I've listened to a few of them. They're not bad. Hmm. I mean, you just have to like the old Fourth Doctor, you know, which yeah. I do. But it's just like, you know, because your favorite is the First Doctor. It's just a different style of storytelling. I think sometimes when people watch the new one. And they go watch a little one. They're like, "Oh, this is terrible." It's like, no, it's just a different style. Yeah, Tom it takes was a while. Completely it takes different. a while to adjust to the slower paced story and, um, like, I don't know, just in general, nineteen seventies TV. <laughs> and the show's figuring itself out the whole yeah, time. Yeah, which that's part of it for me. That's always like so fun to watch is watching the show mature. It is interesting how, like, over the years, they just like you know different writers and showrunners throw different things onto on top of the stuff that's already happened it's like a yeah someone finishes telling a story and then someone just picks it right up and keeps going like it's kind of surprising yep. that it hasn't just collapsed in, in on itself at some point like completely um, yeah i am surprised it's been go the reboot has gone on this long mm. it feels like it might not go away now they yeah, say they're on forever good to like until the end of peak tv 2020 or whatever they're they're back Till I think. Um, Gosh. So there's at least like another few years for sure, and then after that, who knows? I think it could very well run longer than the original run did. Well, the original run was like 1963 mm-hmm. to 89, so it's got a while to go. <laughs> yeah. It could do it. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see how it changes with the with this new slate coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting a new showrunner. I thought. It felt like, oh, yeah. sort of felt like that Moffat was never going to leave. I, was like, I know! Is he just going like, to take it down with him? He's just going to keep going until they cancel it or something? Like, wow, he's been doing it since, what, 2010? Yeah. Mm. He's done six seasons, mm. which is a lot. I mean, there have only been ten seasons, and he did six of them. Yeah. So. Mm. I, th- I think, just like how the show needs a new doctor every couple of years to, like, refresh everything and make it feel new again, changing the showrunner... Almost as often, like maybe like every two or maybe three doctors is an absolute necessity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Four years max. I think yeah, four to five years for a showrunner would be enough, and then like give someone else a go. Yeah, I think every each showrunner gets a minimum of two doctors. I think mm-hmm. maybe they get two and a half, and there's some bleed over, maybe not. But I think each of them should get at least two. Okay, well, I think we might just <laughs> leave it there. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming yeah. and have a chat about Doctor Who again, guys. Thanks. Amanda. The next time we'll talk, time. you'll probably be married and have kids. Another two years. <laughs> like three years away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not leave it that long. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Be the same. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. 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 your tail, 
Just have to wait and 